0: sexual assaults and epidemic in treaty three territory is the government of manitoba hiding covid procurement information layoffs mark the beginning of the year South Korea's government's New Red Scare, and a deadly day in Janine in the West Bank. Good morning. It's Friday, January 27th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. We start today in Northwestern Ontario. An investigation by APTN journalists Kenneth Jackson and Josh Grummit have found that Treaty 3 territory has a sexual assault rate that is 10 times higher than Canada's national average. The territory that covers Treaty 3 has a tiny population, less than 9,000 people, but over the past five years, there have been a staggering 485 sexual assaults reported, 93 last year alone. And of course, keep in mind that with sexual assaults, the number of reported assaults usually are a small fraction of the actual number of assaults happening. Ten times is a factor that's hard to get your head around. Jackson and Grummet note that where the national average is 90 sexual assaults per 100,000 people, there were more than a thousand sexual assaults per 100,000 people last year. The two dig into the culture of silence around these assaults. Survivors of sexual assault describe being harassed into silence, including by family members. Many people who experience sexual assault then become tangled in addiction and other struggles. One of the people they feature is Craig Lavand, a survivor of sexual abuse when he was a child at Wajkirch First Nation. The report says that because of childhood trauma, Lavand has spent time in jail. He said, quote, when you go into institutions like the jails and talk to guys that are First Nations, nine out of ten have experienced sexual assault in their lifetime. Now, if you remember last week or so, I talked about the Washkaga Oningam First Nation on the Daily News podcast. That's because they found 171 markers through a ground search at the site of the former St. Mary's Indian Residential School. There is, of course, a direct line from the abuse that the children at St. Mary's suffered and the plague of sexual assault. But that doesn't mean leadership can ignore this. Sadly, the report details numerous individuals that have been charged with serious sex crimes, often against children that who still hold positions within the community, including the role of chief in some places. None of the leaders that APTN reached out to in Treaty 3 responded for comment. This investigation is also airing on APTN, and so you should definitely look for that. Now to Manitoba, where Press Progress is reporting that emails that were used by bureaucrats who sourced COVID-19-related contracts that were worth tens of millions of dollars have been deactivated. In trying to get access to emails to see what kinds of conversations were happening around the $400 million in emergency COVID spending, reporter Emily Leedham was told that part of the delay of the release of documents was because Manitoba's finance department had shut down the email addresses of the procurement team. This would seem to violate the province's Archive and Record-Keeping Act, which requires that documents and records be kept for, I hope, obvious reasons. Liedem asked Manitoba Finance for details about their internal record-keeping policies. The department told her that she would have to file another access-to-information request to get that. COVID-19 procurement was big business. It needed to happen fast, and there were vultures circling above every government department in Canada that had money to spend. Without access to these emails, and worse, knowing that they were intentionally disactivated, we're left to wonder, why? What are they hiding? Now to national news. Megan Delaire over at CTV News has written a roundup of all the layoffs she could find in 2023 so far. Reminder, we are only 27 days into 2023. Delaire starts with the Hudson Bay Company. It's planning to axe 250 employees who, she cites from the Canadian press, are mostly corporate roles, online, and brick and mortar positions. Not sure what jobs that leaves at the Hudson's Bay, but uh, okay. Then there's Post Media, which I've mentioned twice on this podcast already. They employ 650 journalists, reports Delaire. That's pretty incredible considering that they own something like 120 properties. That's like, what, five to six journalists per property? While the cuts are reported to be 11% of the staff, layoffs at the Montreal Gazette are expected to actually be 25% of the staff. I'll pause here to mention that if Anglo-Montrealers are afraid of Quebec's Bill 96 for attacking English language rights, you should probably be flipping cars at the idea of the Gazette being sold off for parts. This poses a far greater threat to Anglo-Montreal than anything in Bill ninety-six, but I digress. Next up, she reports Salesforce is planning to lay off ten percent of its workforce, which is anticipated to hit some on, on some Canadian workers. Canadian tech firm Benetivity announced that it will cut one hundred thirty-seven jobs, which is fourteen percent of its workforce, and Amazon sent out a memo hinting at new layoffs. The company plans to eliminate 18,000 jobs, but it's not clear how many, if any, will happen in Canada. Also on the list of layoffs, Hootsuite, company software Thinkific, delivery startup in Toronto Go Bold, Canadian online car retailer Clutch, lending firm Clearco, and software company Partnerstack. Oh man, that is quite a list of ridiculous company names. Anyway, the list does not include other jobs, though, that have been reported in 2023. It didn't include the 400 unionized workers at Canfor who will lose their jobs when they close facilities in northern British Columbia. Nor does it mention that Best Buy is laying off about 700 employees all across Canada. The article doesn't mention the 12,000 jobs that Google is planning to cut worldwide, which the Globe and Mail reports will include some Canadian jobs. If you aren't yet unionized, make 2023 the year you get unionized. It'll help if you find yourself getting laid off. Now to international news. Korean labor activists are decrying what they're calling a new red scare from their government. Al Jazeera reports that the South Korea spy agency raided the offices of the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions, alleging that the union officials had, quote, illegal contact with North Korean agents. Al Jazeera quotes the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions saying, The KCTU condemned the raids as an effort to suppress the labor movement, promising to, quote, struggle against the violence of the Yoon Suk-yeol regime. Quote, The current government is seeking to divide workers to expand the differences between different kinds of workers, the confederation said. Union activists accuse Yoon suk yeol of using the Red Scare tactics to distract from his own blunders. The raid came right after Yoon embarrassed himself in the United Arab Emirates, for example. Yoon, who's conservative, said that Iran is an enemy to the United Arab Emirates, similar to how North Korea is to South Korea. Iran wasn't super happy with these comments and called it interference in Iranian UAE affairs. This was not Yoon's first international embarrassment. In September, he said into a hot mic that it would be embarrassing for Biden if, quote, those idiots at the legislature don't approve, unquote. He was talking about money that Biden pledged to fight diseases around the world. The word he used in Korean for idiots may have also meant bastards. Rather than owning these gaffes, members of Yoon's party blamed the media outlet for airing the comments without fact-checking them first. Previously, Yoon had no political experience before he was elected president. And finally, nine Palestinians have been killed in a raid in Jenin in the West Bank, and another Palestinian was killed near Jerusalem as they protested the raid in Jenin. Israel obviously had some excuse for the murders that you could probably guess, and you probably have heard already on mainstream media. The BBC is reporting that the Palestinian Red Crescent ambulances were not able to reach the wounded because Israeli troops blocked their access to the scene. Houses were hit, and a children's ward of a hospital was hit by tear gas. Already in 2023, 30 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank. Last year, that number was north of 150. More than 30 Israelis, quote, including civilians, police, and soldiers, unquote, died last year. Those are your headlines for Friday, January 27th. It's Friday. I hope you have a wonderful and restful weekend if you have it off. And if you don't have it off, spend the weekend figuring out how to organize your coworkers.